0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Uh, We're in week three of this series called Anchored. It's it's taken a deep dive into the life of Daniel. Daniel is one of the greatest lives that was ever lived. I mean, he had such influence. Um, He was such an example of Christian faith and virtue and, and just a solid, solid young man that grows into this great leader and great man of God and somebody that you would definitely want to pattern your life after. You know, from the moment you're born, traditionally we think that education is something that lasts for about two decades. You know, you go to preschool and then you, you do the grade school thing and middle school or junior high school and then high school. And then, if, you know, some go to college and others are figuring out that they can do other things. They go other directions. But, but we look at that first 20 years as basically the education years. And, and education is a good thing. It's a very, very good thing. Scripture tells us to love God with our minds, and we find that in the Great Commandment. But how do you do that? How do you love God with your mind? You do that by by using it. You do that by developing it, by not wasting it. You do that by educating your mind. One of the ways that we honor God is through education and learning as much as we can. Proverbs says this in chapter 19, do yourself a favor and learn all you can then remember what you learn, and you will prosper. And you could could slide the word be successful in there, and that would work as well. You will prosper. You will be successful. Did you know that in most countries of the world, the first schools and the first hospitals were started by Christians and started by the church? The church invented the hospital. Uh, We are a preaching, teaching, and healing faith. We believe in the body, mind, and soul. And and God doesn't just care about your soul. He cares also about your mind and about your your, your body and and how those things are educated and how those things grow. But your education does not end with school. And to be successful, you're going to have to learn how to learn for the rest of your life. Education should be a continuing thing. Proverbs 24, wisdom brings strength and knowledge gives power. You've heard that expression, knowledge is power. That's where it comes from. A lot of the, 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 the wisdom adages that we've heard in life, you hear that, wisdom is power, knowledge is power. Well, that's straight scripture. That comes right out of the, the Proverbs. You want to be powerful, learn as much as you can. Wisdom brings strength and knowledge brings power. So the Bible is high on education. It actually has a lot to say about education. But the Bible also says that you need to be careful About your education and you need to learn the right stuff Proverbs chapter 4 your education is your life so guard it well and students uh, you need to be guarding your education so you you know a student hears that and they're like what does that mean guard my education well that's kind of what we're going to look at today Uh, parents and relatives are you helping your students guard their education now I'm it would be easy for you to be sitting there right now and thinking well he's really talking to the students he's not really talking to me no you need to listen carefully today because what i'm talking about these are the things that you need to be passing on to your kids i've given you an outline we're going to go through and take some notes and these are things that you need to sit down with your kids and talk about like how to do what we're looking at today last week I said before every blessing, there is a testing. God tests you to see if you're ready for the blessings that are going to come into your life, the blessings of success and power and influence. But before the blessing comes, there is a testing. We also said that God tests you with stress before he trusts you with success. That is absolutely true. In this series, we're looking at nine different tests that Daniel faces in his life. They are, they're all in the life of Daniel. In the first week, we looked at major life change. How do you navigate major life change? Last week, we looked at, at cultural and social pressures and how do you navigate a world where there are those kinds of pressures, peer pressure, so to speak. Um, this week, Daniel is still a teenager. This will be the last of the messages where Daniel, we consider him as a teenager. and um, We're looking at challenges to your faith. How do you stand up when, there, when challenges to your faith come along. Daniel finds himself ripped from his homeland, ripped away from his parents. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he invades Israel, he destroys the city of Jerusalem, he takes 25% of the population back as prisoners of war, and he goes back to Babylon with them. Babylon would be modern-day Iraq. And so these young people, most of them young people, are gonna go back to Babylon. They will be held there as captives for 70 years. One of those young men was Daniel. He was 15 when all this happened to him. He had three good friends. We've we've talked about them so far in this series. We'll look at them a little bit today. The king decides that he is going to start and and he's gonna send these young Jewish boys through this indoctrination process. He's gonna basically reprogram them. He wants to take them from being Jewish and thinking with a Hebrew mind And he wants to basically turn them into good Babylonian boys. They're going to get a new name. They're going to get a new religion. They're going to eat different food. Everything is going to change for them. And they said, you know, we're going to make you Babylonian. Your your parents are gone. Your homeland's gone. Your Bible's gone. All that's gone. And in Daniel chapter 1, we read this in verse 4. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. This is the king. Select young men without any physical defect, handsome and showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. So they're going to graduate, and then they're going to go on, and they're going to serve in the palace. And this this can be described as nothing but an indoctrination process, right? Like almost a brainwashing kind of thing. Daniel and his three best friends get chosen for this program. Now, I don't know. wasn't there, and I don't know if the Bible really speaks to this, but um, I just imagine that there's two kind of things going on here. Part of this is there's probably a fear. I've been selected for this special program, and what are they going to do, and what are they going to teach me, and what am I going to have to do? But there's probably a part of it where I just expect that they got excited a little bit. Because if, if Daniel isn't selected for this program, his, his basic outlook on life is he's going to be left in the mob with the other 25% of the Israelites that were brought back out of Israel, and he has no prospect for advancement. He has no, he's not going to get any more education. He's going to be with everybody else. So on the one hand, he was probably like us when we go off to school. You know, you're a little nervous, you're a little afraid, a little excited, a little bit of all that kind of goes on in the mix there. And so now, it, it, it sounds great, you know, a lot of this, he's going to be studying a lot of different things. But it's all going to be completely anti-God, right? It, it's, none of it is going to be the stuff that he's been trained to believe. Babylon was filled with polytheism, which is really another way to say that they worshipped many, many gods. It was a pagan environment and system. In fact, the message version of, of the scriptures Uh, In Daniel chapter 1, it reads it like this. Indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and the lore of magic and fortune-telling. To which we go, what? Yeah, this educational system was designed to produce psychics and fortune-tellers. That's really what they were after. The Babylonians were incredibly superstitious as a people. And so Daniel and his buddies are gonna have to learn a lot of stuff that they don't agree with. They're gonna get a lot of things thrown at them That they don't want to hear that are contrary to what they believe and what their faith says Um, but God has prepared Daniel and these boys and in verse 17 we read this to these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning one of the things that you learn in scripture is that God will never ask you to do something that he doesn't give you the ability to do to put it another way God will never put more on you than he will put in you to bear it up. God will never put more on you than he will put in you. At Cross Lane, one of the things we we know, we learned this at, at a leadership talk one time, that God has given us everything that we need to be able to reach the people for Christ that he is calling us to reach today. For us to say, well, we just don't have the resources. No, God says, whoever I'm calling you to reach today, I've resourced you already to reach them. Now that's not to say that we don't need other resources to do other things. We certainly do. But this principle holds up for us, we think. God has given us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. These guys have already passed two tests in life change and and peer pressure, and they passed those with flying colors. Now God gives them a bigger test, and that test is, can you study in a pagan school and not lose your faith? Can you go through that system and hang on to the things of God? And if they pass this, they will be promoted again. And what you see in the life of Daniel is just promotion after promotion. Now, this education that they're about to receive, as we said, it's not godly. They're going to be learning about multiple gods. They're going to be learning about occultic practices. They're going to get false science and fallacies. They're going to get bad logic and reason. But, to be fair, not everything that the Babylonians did was bad they actually did some pretty cool stuff uh for instance did you know that the babylonians were the ones that discovered the planet of jupiter <laughs> I, you heard that and like okay no when i heard that i'm like what no telescope i mean how do you discover jupiter with no telescope I, how do you do that i don't know but they did they figured it out um but they they studied the stars they were they were big into, into you know looking at the stars but they did it not really so much for science they did it so that for religious purposes uh, it wasn't for astronomy it was more for astrology the babylonians were very polytheistic very believe in many gods and they they thought that the gods spoke to them through the moon through the stars Basically, how bright they were, what color they were, if the moon was a certain color, if it was in a posi- certain position in the sky, you know, they, they, they felt like God was speaking to them through all those different kinds of things. Um, they invented the zodiac. So you know, the whole idea of the horoscope, we kind of get that from the Babylonians. They invented astrology, which is in its, re- in its purest form is a, a really a false religion. So, so Babylonian education was for raising up mystics, was for raising up fortune tellers and psychics and stargazers. Um, I I used to wonder this, and I, I got my answer this week. Have you ever wondered why your watch has 60 seconds and 60 minutes? You ever wondered why we settled on 60? Where that comes from? It comes from the Babylonians. The Babylonians believed that the number 60 was magical and that it was an important number, and so that's the reason that our watches have 60 seconds and 60 minutes. The the idea of a circle having 360 degrees, that comes from the Babylonians. It's It's a number divisible by 60. So to this day, we are influenced by Babylonian culture, Daniel 1. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. I love these next two verses. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now that is what you call graduating with honors. Um, There's some suggestion from the original text in this this particular verse that these guys were appointed advisors to the king. Can you imagine being basically a, a teenager, you go through this top honors program and you come out and they they let you advise the King that's called excelling in your education how do you do that as a student uh, for the rest of your life how do you excel in your education how do you learn what the world wants to teach you and still hang on to your faith in 1962 and 1963 the Supreme Court handed down three major rulings they took the Bible and prayer out of our schools and and i realize that we can still you know i say that and people are like no they didn't you can still take them in you can still pray yes you can but from being you know like officially recognized things no more after 62 and 63. and and up until that time for the the 300 years leading up to that the bible had basically been the primary textbook uh, for education in fact that's where we get the word sunday school i don't know if you know this or not but In in times of the Industrial Revolution, the kids that, you know, a lot of these kids, they didn't go to school, they worked. Little 10, 12 year old kids working. And so they didn't get an education. So on the weekends, they had a special school set up for them, and they would educate them on Sunday, Sunday school, and they would use the Bible as one of the textbooks for reading and spelling. And, you know, you would do spelling words out of the Bible, and um, that's what they used. To, to teach the kids, it's stuff like that that has made our country the amazing country that it is. And, and you may not know this, but all of the almost all of the Ivy League schools, like Dartmouth and Brown and uh, Yale, Har- all those schools, um, many of those universities were started um, when they were started. They were Christian universities, and they were started for the purpose of Christian education. Like Harvard was started by a pastor by pastors to train pastors. Same thing with Yale, Bypassers to train pastors. Princeton, Bypassers to train pastors. The only exception of the Ivy League schools that don't fall into that category is, the, is Cornell University. Uh, that's the only one. So, so all of a sudden the Supreme Court after 300 years takes the Bible and prayer out of school and a lot of people thought, well you know, that, maybe that's a good idea that we don't have those in there. But the problem is they didn't just remove a religion they removed Christianity, and in its place, they put in there a different religion. And the religion that they installed was a religion called secular humanism. You say, Brett, secular humanism isn't really a religion. And I would say, oh yes, it is. The founder of modern education is a guy named John Dewey. If you've ever gone to the library, you've been influenced by John Dewey. John Dewey was known as the father of modern education. And he referred to secular humanism as our common faith. In 1933, a group of educators got together and they, they wrote the Humanist Manifesto. And in the Humanist Manifesto, which Dewey and many others put their name on, they, they said that they called secular humanism a religion. Julian Huxley, very famous humanist of his day, called secular humanism revel. Uh, uh, religion without revelation what he means is its religion but it doesn't have a Bible so in 1961 the Supreme Court had actually ruled in a decision that the sec- that secular humanism is a religion so they just took out Christianity and they installed in its place secular humanism so most of us grew up in an education system with this in place and maybe not all of us but some of us certainly have had to endure a belittling of our faith. Some of us have gone through a mocking of the Bible. Some of us have had our values contradicted. Some of us have, have had, had our, our morals and our ethics scoffed at by, by people who either didn't believe or didn't agree. And so that's what our kids, that's what they face as we, they graduate and we send them off, especially to the universities. Now, to be fair, uh, we have people in this church who are professors. Christian solid people, and they, you know, they try to, as, where they can, they try to infuse their classroom with the love of Christ and the message of Christ. Now, you have to be careful how they do that, but they try to do that. So not every professor at every university is some godless, you know, anti-Christian uh, monster that's trying to destroy the faith of kids, but it does happen. Uh, a couple of years ago, several years ago, there was a movie made and I just brought a trailer along for you to see it, just to kind of give you a glimpse of what it could be like for a kid in college today.
1: Name? Uh, Wheaton. Josh Wheaton. Philosophy 150. You might want to think about a different uh, instructor. Come on, man, it can't be that bad. Think uh, Roman Coliseum, people cheering for your dad. I am Professor Radisson. This is philosophy one five zero. I would like to bypass senseless debate altogether and jump to the conclusion which every sophomore is already aware of, there is no God. All that I require from each of you is that you fill in the papers I've just given you with three little words, God is dead. Mr. Wheaton, there's something wrong. I can't do what you want, I'm a Christian. If you cannot bring yourself to admit that God is dead then you will need to defend the antithesis. Think of Jesus as my friend. You think Jesus is God. I don't want to disappoint him. So your acceptance of this challenge may be the only meaningful exposure to God and Jesus they'll ever have. To me, he's not dead. I don't want anyone to get talked out of believing in him just because the professor thinks they should. Mr. Wheaton, are you ready? We're going to put God on trial. Do you think you're smarter than me, Wheaton? Do not try to humiliate me in front of my students. In that classroom, there is a God. I'm him. This experiment is over. You get to decide who the most important person in your life is. Me, Professor Radisson. But I have to do this thing. Like it's something that God wants me to do. I I can't just turn away from it. You just want to ensnare them in your primitive superstition. What I want is for them to make their own choice. That's what God wants. You have no idea how much I'm going to enjoy failing you. Yeah, but who are you really looking to fail?
0: Me or God? Now there will be some people at the university students if you're in the room when you get to college there are going to be some people that are not going to like the fact that you profess Christ They're just not um, not everybody's on board with that and, and it's possible that you may get into a classroom where you get challenged maybe not quite like that but to some degree like that and let's be honest a freshman in college is no match for a guy like that who's done that his entire life and has got his arguments down cold and you know this kid's gone to bible to to bible class at church and he's gone to youth group and you know we we try to do what we can but when you throw him into that it's it's a whole different environment in fact um it happens not every year but it happens often um and i i kind of laugh about it and i don't mean to belittle anybody but it's just if they could understand it the way I see it, they would they would understand it a little better. But, you know, it happens often. I'll have a you know, some well-meaning mother sends her son or daughter off to the university and they're a Christian when they leave, and then they come home one weekend for a visit with mom, and they tell her, Mom, I don't believe in God anymore. And her first move is to come to church and to find me. And it sounds something like this: Brad, my son does doesn't believe in Jesus anymore. You know, all upset, and I get it, I get it, it's scary. But that's about the time I rub my hands together and I say, all right, all right, that's good. Because what happens is we take on the faith of our parents. At some point, though, you're, you traded, you probably went through a period of disbelief, and what you were doing, just like a snake sheds its skin, you were shedding your parents' belief, and at some point, you have to take on your own beliefs as an adult. Does that make sense? There comes a point, listen, when I went off to Bible college, I knew there was a God because my mama told me there was a God. My mama doesn't lie, right? But then it hit me. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm basing all this on what my mother has said. And as much as I love her, I've got to wrestle this beast to the ground myself. So I went through a period of disbelief. I went through a period where I really had to figure out, Brett, what do you believe? And on the back side of that, I came out of that with a stronger faith and a better faith. Now, not everybody makes it through that. Some people don't make it through that, but a lot of kids do. But, but that's what we're sending our kids off into, and to be honest, it's kind of scary. But there's two realizations I want to bring to the front here. Now, this is the reality. The actual number of, of real atheists in the world, that number is actually very, very low, um, you know most atheists is someone. I'm talking about hardcore true dyed-in-the-wool atheists I'm not talking about the person who tells you they're an atheist so you won't talk to him about Jesus anymore okay there are those but the the number of true atheists in the world that number stands experts you know it's hard to nail something like that down but the number is somewhere between two and seven percent of the world's population is truly Atheist and most of them live in China because they're, they're encouraged even at a young age many of them to deny God uh, The second thing that I would tell you is this. I read a poll this week that really surprised me um, I read a poll that says that atheism is actually declining in America There are actually fewer atheists in America today than there were in 2010 that surprised me um, Every Christian student needs to understand that the world is actually getting more religious, not less religious. Now, as I say that, it doesn't mean that it, it still can't be secular. Okay? It can, it's a multifaceted thing. We could be here for hours talking about it. But there are 15 million. Here's some, some statistics for you. 15 million Jews in the world. Half of them live in the States. Half of them live in Israel. There's a few scattered about the world, but most of them are either in the States or in Israel. Uh, There are 600 million Buddhists in the world. There are 800 million Hindus in the world. There are 1.5 billion Muslims in the world, and there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. So the two fastest and the two most predominant faiths are the the faith of Islam and, and Christianity. Islam is basically growing by birth rate, they just pretty much, they're just reproducing and those kids are just raised, you're just raised in it. Um, you know, some would argue that that's what happens in Christianity, but that's really not true. In Christianity, you, 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 you might be born into a Christian home and taken to church, but there comes a point where you get to decide, there's a point where you decide whether or not you want to be a Christian, right? So, so really, a lot of our growth comes from conversion. So you're going to have to learn how to live in a pluralistic world with people who disagree with you, with people whose values and, and worldviews and, and religious views don't always match up with your own. But it is not, it's, for the most part, it's not going to be secularism. There's going to be some form of religion involved. Our schools and universities are bastions of, of unbelief in America. Now again, we've got, some, I, we've got them in the room this morning. We had them in the first service. Uh, college professors who are Christians who genuinely are trying to pass on good values to to our students. Um, But with all that in mind, I want to focus our time on how do you excel in school? How do you graduate at the top of your class like Daniel did when you don't necessarily agree with everything that's being taught? Many schools are wrong about some really important stuff. They're wrong about identity. They're wrong about sexuality. They're wrong about purpose and meaning of life. And one of the reasons for this is because of the big ideas held by a lot of the schools is this idea of that truth is relative. We talked about this a little bit last week. The idea that what's true for you might not necessarily be true for me. Opinions are relative. Truth is truth. There are things that are true for everybody at all times in all places. That is absolute truth. And I talked about this last week. Gravity is an absolute truth, right? I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you weigh, how old you are, boy, girl, pretty, not pretty, puts you on a five-story building and have you step off, you're going down, you're not going up. That's true for everybody, in every place, everywhere. That is an absolute truth. Some professors in colleges and universities go so far as to say that, and, and you can, you know, these kids can expect to hear this at some point in the in their college experience. There is no absolute truth. That's one of the things that'll be said. There are people who believe that, smart people who believe that there is no absolute truth. The next time somebody tells you there is no absolute truth, I want you to respond by asking them a question. Are you absolutely sure about that? Because what they just did was state an absolute truth. Their statement is a self-refuting statement, okay? Uh, Stating that there is no absolute truth is to state an absolute truth. Nobody could live that way even if it was true. Think about it. You, you, You have this idea that, you know, it's all relative. Truth doesn't really apply to me. Try that the next time you come up to a stoplight and decide, that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't have to stop at that stoplight. Go through that stoplight. And what happens is, you get nominated at the top of the list for a Darwin Award. That's what happens. You know, you die. You, 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 we can't just go through life just assuming that certain things, it's all relative. No. Stoplights are there for a reason. And if you go through a stoplight, you can expect some pretty major damage to your body. There is stuff that is absolutely true, but today in secular education, the idea is it's okay for you to think that you're right, it's just not okay for you to think that somebody else is wrong, right? They'll let you think what you think is right, that's okay, but don't you dare tell somebody else that they're wrong. That'll get you in trouble. Now, I can't believe this is true, but I'm, I'm about to say something that places me at odds with a pretty huge section of the nation's population. I don't really care, but I'm going to say this. There are some things that are always right, and there are some things that are always wrong. I could say that the moon is made of silica and rock. I could also say that the moon is made of spaghetti. I could also say that the moon is made of peanut butter. All of those things are not, are not valid ideas. Um, there's a group out there now that says every idea is a valid idea. Well, understand that we define validity as factually accurate. That's what, how you would define validity. Validity. So to say that every idea is equally valid is nonsense. All ideas are not equally valid. All ideas are not factually accurate together. To say that the moon is made out of spaghetti is not a valid idea. If that were true, you could pick up the phone, and if you were going to try to call your son or your daughter or your mother or your father, and you were going to pick up your cell phone and you were going to dial that number, there's one number that will connect you to the person you want to talk to, one number. And if you get any other number out of sequence, then that is not the absolute truth that is going to connect you to the loved one that you want to talk to. Every number has to be perfectly sequenced. In a world where people say, well, you know, any is valid. No, that's not true. One number. Every other number that you dial is going to take you to somebody else. If you want to get to that person, the absolute truth is you have to have the number. Question how, here's the question. How do you excel in your education when relativism is a fundamental position of secular humanism? I want to give you five things. And you're like, oh my Lord, he's just gotten to the five things. <laughs> it's gonna go fast, okay? I can talk pretty fast when I have to. You need to know these. You need to write these down. You need, if, kids, if you're in the room, you need to write these down. This is gold nuggets you're about to get. But parents, adults, grandparents, you need, to write, you need to pass this stuff on to your kids. Here we go. Here's how we do it. Real quick. Number one, decide in advance to stand for God. The time to choose your loyalty is before you go to school. The time to choose your loyalty is before you join the team, before you go to work. Before you join that society, before you join that club, before you start hanging out with that group of people, decide in advance. Jesus told us that in this world, you are going to encounter trouble. You're going to run into stuff. Don't be surprised when there are challenges to your faith. Paul wrote to Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Will, not might. You will. No persecution Means that nobody knows you're a Christian. (laughs) If If you're not running into persecution once in a while, if you're not running into a brick wall once in a while, it means that nobody even your faith is so lame that nobody even knows you're a believer. There should be some points where you are running into trouble because of your faith. Parents, you should prepare your children for this. You're listen. You're going to take all kinds of tests when you go off to school. You're going to take geography and math tests, science, language. But the most important test that you will ever take in your whole education is the test of your faith. You can fail social studies. Trust me, I've done it, okay? You can can survive that, all right? You do not want to fail the test that God gives you because there are implications for that, eternal implications. You cannot fail at your faith. When you're in school and you're faced with harassments, you really have three choices. You can, you can take a dive, you can withdraw to survive, or you can determine to thrive. What does it mean, take a dive? It just means give up. Just lay your faith down and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be a Christian. I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to pay any attention to Jesus. I'm just going to just go with the flow. That's a way to do it. I don't recommend it second is to withdraw and try to survive what does that mean it means we compartmentalize I'm gonna be a Christian over here in this environment but while I'm in this environment over here I'm gonna be an entirely different kind of person I'm gonna leave that behind I don't recommend that that doesn't glorify Christ that's not going to honor your faith and it's not going to get you where you want to be in the long term or you can determine to thrive those are your options Daniel and his friends determine to thrive they knew they were going to hear some stuff they were going to disagree with. It's kind of like eating fish. When you eat fish, you eat the meat off the fish, and then you throw the bones away, right? That's kind of what Daniel did. Daniel said, listen, there's parts of this that are legit. There's parts of this that this Babylonian education. You know, I recognize that as truth. That's something I can use. You go off to the university, they're going to teach you some good stuff. They're going to teach you some stuff that you know. That's the meat. You take that and you say, hey, I can use that. That's valid. That's... that's scientifically accurate, that lines up with with what I believe about God and how God made the world and how the the world works. I get that. But then you're going to hear some things and you're going to say, you know what, that's bones. I'm not eating that. I'm I'm throwing that away. That's that's nonsense. That's not a valid, that's not valid, uh, accurate, uh, how did I put that? Factually accurate? (laughs) Don't try this at home, folks. Daniel chapter 1 says this, Daniel made up his mind not to defile Himself that's where you start you make a commitment. I'm not going to defile myself I'm I'm going to protect my mind Going to protect my body protect my heart set some boundaries How do you excel how do you become a great student Proverbs 1 start with God? The first step in learning is bowing down to God only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning God is the foundation of all truth. He is the source of all knowledge and wisdom start with God The final exam is when you stand before God at the end of your life, and God is not going to ask you a bunch of social studies questions. He's not going to ask you how to spell a word. God's going to have one question for every one of us, and that is, did you know me? Did you walk with me? Did you represent me? Proverbs 15, reverence for the Lord is an education unto itself. Why? Why? Why is that the case? Because he he made everything else. He made science. He made biology. He made English. He made physics. He made art. He made music. God thought the whole thing up. History is his story. God knows the beginning and the end. No professor that you have in college knows that. Only God knows that. So number one, decide early. Number two, never stop learning. All leaders are learners. You cannot be a leader and not be a learner. Decide to be a learner. Question for adults, what new skill are you going to learn in the next year? What are you going to do in the next year to broaden your horizons and learn something new and expand your mind and and train your mind and discipline your mind to keep it pliable? What are you going to do to grow and and to learn something new? I am constantly trying to figure out how to do new things. Um, n- for no other reason than just to challenge myself, just to to keep learning, to keep my mind active, to make sure that that it's learning something new. Here, least recently, I, I was I've been you know paracord. You can weave paracord. I have a bracelet on this morning that I wove. It's a so I went and bought some paracord, started watching some videos like how do they make a, you know make a keychain, make a necklace, make a, uh, I made a weapon. It was kind of cool. Bash your head in with a weapon, (laughs) Um, but I I I thought I'm going to learn how to make some things. So I brought a picture just to show you some of the stuff that I've made in the last couple of weeks. I just have been doing this, just in my free time. Like I'll watch a video, like oh okay, I think I can do that. I even made a baby Yoda. Check that out, little baby Yoda. (laughs) Grogu. Uh, So that's just one of the things that I, I I've learned how to do recently, and I'm having fun with it. I'm I'm learning I'm learning how to tie different knots, how to do different weaves. It's just It's fun for me to learn how to do something new. Um, This past year, one of the things that I did was I installed a kitchen, uh, some vinyl plank flooring in our kitchen. Now, I am not that guy, okay? I'm not the guy that gets on your roof and can tell you what the square footage is and you need this many squares of, of tile thingy, whatever, you know. I'm not that guy. I'm not. Um, I can do a little bit with my hands. I have some tools. I can, I'm not completely inept, but I'm not the one that refinishes things. But this is my kitchen floor. I installed that. And, and it actually works. You can actually walk on it. It's cool. It's, it's, it'll hold you up. Um, I, I, I talked to some people. Hey, how do, is there anything I need to know? What tools do I need? And I got down on my hands and knees and about killed myself. But after, after about a year and a half, I got the floor installed. No, I, I, <laughs> it didn't take that long. And it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but I did it, and I, I learned how, and I'm proud of that, right? I'm proud of that. So, the, the last thing I'm going to tell you that I've wanted, I've wanted I love, like, I, secretly, I would love to know how to quilt. <laughs> Laugh at me, I know, but I just think it's fascinating. I would love to know how to quilt, and one of the things I've always wanted to learn how to do was crochet and knit and things like that. I want to make my own blanket. So I just decided one day, you know what? I'm gonna learn how to finger crochet my own blanket. My wife took a picture. This almost cost me my faith, (laughs) y'all. I I have almost, Jesus has rebuked me many times as I've worked on this blanket. Um, Look at my big fat fingers trying to figure out how to crochet. Now, here's what I will tell you I've had to set this project aside because it has so aggravated me and I've almost lost, me and Jesus have had some serious conversations. Like he's looked at me a couple of times and said, boy, you need help, you just need, you're in trouble. So, because my problem is it starts out great and the more I knit, the, the it gets shorter and shorter. So, so I've got it shelved right now but I will eventually pick that back up. I'm going to knit that into a blanket that I sleep under. I guarantee you I will do it, um, just not tomorrow. Um, So those are things that I'm doing to try to grow my my brain, to learn, to keep myself growing, something new, something like, how do you do that? It's good for us to do that. What are you going to learn? I'm constantly reading new things, constantly watching stuff that I don't think I will agree with, trying to get different viewpoints to hear the other side. One of the great things when I was in a homiletics class when I was in college, Dr. Inyart, came in it was all boys we were all a bunch of guys and we were learning how to preach homiletics is a preaching class and he was talking to us about resources and one day he said he said boys you're going to be when you get out into ministry you're going to take periodicals and magazines and he said when they come and hit your desk you know usually on the cover there's a list of you know articles that you think you might want to read he said what i want you to do i want you to train yourself to open up to the table of contents Find the article that you least want to read. This is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given. Find one of the articles that you least want to read and read it first. And he said, I promise you, you will learn more out of that article than you do from the rest of the magazine. And he's right. I've done that my entire life. Do you know why that's true? Because that article that you would come to last, that you would read last, that's the thing you're least interested in. That might be the thing that you least agree with. And we need to be studying the things that we least agree with. We need to hear those viewpoints. We need to do that kind of stuff. If you're not learning, you're dying. Proverbs 18, wise men and women are always learning, always listening for fresh insights. Notice there is a connection between listening and learning. That's something that every adult needs. To refresh their minds these days. We are not listening to each other anymore. And consequently, we are becoming dumber as a society. Our politicians are not listening to each other anymore. That's a problem. We're too concerned about being tweetable. We're too concerned about a soundbite. We're too concerned about trying to power up and be smarter than somebody else and win the argument. That gets us nowhere. Listen to each other. Have a dialogue, have a debate, make valid points. Listen to the other side. Learn what you can from your enemy. Listen, if we don't get this right, that's trickling down to us as a society. We're learning that from the top. Our politicians aren't listening, they're just yelling at one another. Consequently, we aren't listening and we are yelling at one another and we have got to arrest that and it's gotta start with the people of faith. You gotta listen. When your kids are talking to you, listen, show them how to actively listen. I know what it's like, I've been you, I've been there, your kids are little, they talk, talk, talk all the time, right, just talk, 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 question after question. Daddy, how come my tongue is wet? Daddy, how come I got a left foot and a right foot? Daddy, I wanna go fishing, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, uh-huh, no, yes, tongue's wet, I don't know why on your tongue's wet, I don't know why. right? I get it, it's hard, but you gotta listen. You gotta model for these kids how to listen. We gotta teach them how to do that. Kids, listen to your parents and elders, they have much to teach you. Parents, model for them how it's done. The better listener you are, the better learner you are. Disciple isn't just nothing other than a Greek word for the word student. I am a student of Christ, I am a disciple, I am a learner. Proverbs 19, those who get wisdom do themselves a favor, and those who love learning will succeed. Now listen, I love you. I, I, I'm your pastor. I want you to be successful in every area of your life, whether it's career or finances or relationships or marriage or whatever it is. But those who get wisdom and learning are the ones who are going to succeed. It's important to know the difference between wisdom and knowledge. I want to give that to you real quick. Both are important. Knowledge is information gained from education or experience. That's knowledge. Wisdom is seeing and responding from God's viewpoint. Seeing and responding from God's viewpoint. Get to, get, you get knowledge from a book, you get wisdom from God. I know some really smart people who aren't very wise. You are wise when you understand the meaning of things. The, the critical questions in life are not things you learn from a book. The critical questions in life are why questions. They're meaning questions. Why am I here? Who am I? What is the purpose of life? What's my purpose? Why did God put me on the planet? Because those questions are not solved by knowledge. Those questions are solved by wisdom, and you only get wisdom from God. Number three, steep my life in God's word. I brought along a little... A little word picture for you this morning steep when you steep a tea bag you cannot do this quickly right it takes time to make tea you don't just whip up tea you have to steep this tea bag it takes time you got to let the you got to let the tea get out into the water and what happens is that over time the water starts to take on the flavor of the tea. When you read scripture, don't get yourself in such a hurry that you pass by things. That's what happens. We we don't steep ourselves. You you got to stop. You got to focus in on God's word. You got to read it slowly. You got to look at every word. You got to make sure that that you're letting you're steeping yourself that, that the flavor of the book is starting to invade your soul and your life and starts to Im, Im, become who you are. You got to steep your life in God's word. There was a time when I was a cyclist. I, some buddies of mine and I, we we got into cycling. I had a really nice bike, and I bought all the, I had the hat and the cool shorts and the shirt, and you know, really thought I was something. All kinds of gear. We would travel long distances and camp overnight, and we would you know ride on highways, scared my mother to death. One of the things that I noticed as I was riding along, because you, you know, when you're in a, on a bicycle, you go slower than you would if you were in a car, I kept seeing all these dead animals, like a squashed frog, his tongue hanging out. You know, squirrel, dead on the side of the road, tongue hanging out. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's amazing how many dead animals there are on the side of the road. Now, when you're in a car, you don't see those. You're just going right by them. You, you have no idea, I had no idea how many dead animals there were until I actually cycled along the side of the road. And I'm like, man, look at all these dead animals. And they all got their tongue out. You know, just listen, you got to slow down. You got to take your time. You got to memorize some stuff in this book. It's important. You need to be putting this into your life and into your heart. Next verse is, is the promise of success. If I could give you the biblical definition of success and how to have it, here it is. Joshua 1. Keep this book always on your lips. Meditate on it night, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be j- uh, prosperous and successful. Meditate. What's that? Is that breath? That like some, like lotus position kind of thing? No, no. That's Eastern meditation. I'm talking about biblical meditation, which came way before Eastern meditation. How many of you know how to worry? Let me see your hands. How many of you know how to worry? The rest of you are liars. You know how to worry. You know, we all worry, right? We all worry. You know what worrying is? Thinking about the, the same thing over and over. I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it. And the more we think about it, the bigger it gets. I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. Oh, I'm just worried about it. Listen, when you meditate, and what happens when you worry about something is it just keeps getting bigger and God keeps getting smaller. But when you meditate on God's word, God's word gets bigger. And it just gets bigger and your faith gets bigger and your your problems start to shrink and you start to put them in the proper perspective. The secret of wisdom is the meditation on God's word. Write this down. I must learn the truth in order to discern the lies. There are lies all around us. It's gonna take discernment to figure that out. Um, Psalm 119 says this. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life students would you like to be wiser would you like to be wiser than your professor here's the verse for you 119 verse 99 out of the psalms i have more insight than all my teachers for i meditate on your statutes the key to wisdom is spending more time in god's word the average kid when we send them off to college Get this now. They will have spent, they will you call it an investment. I don't, think it's, I don't think they've invested 30,000 hours. They will have spent 30,000 hours in front of a screen. 30,000 hours. It takes 80 hours to read through the Bible. Okay? We need, we need less Facebook and we need more face in the book. Right? We just do. Less Facebook, more face in the book. Number four, choose believers as my best friends. Choose believers as my best friends. The reason Daniel makes it through is because he's got friends to do it with him. God wants you to have non-believers. He does. And if you can lead them to Christ, that's great. But I always tell people this, don't just be friends with somebody just to lead them to Jesus. That is to abuse the friendship. If you can influence them, that's great. But if they came up to you and said, Brad, I just want you to know, I'm, I'll, you know, I'll be friends with you, but I'm never going to give my life to Christ. You, you Don't look at him and go, well, I don't want to be your friend anymore. No, no. We, we're called to be good friends. We should be good to people. How do you want to be different in 10 years? How, how do you want to be different? If you show me two things, I can tell you where you're going in 10 years. Show me who you hang out with. Show me what you're putting in your mind. What are you reading? What are you watching? What videos? What music? Who do you hang out with? What are you putting in your mind? 1 Corinthians, do not be misled, bad company, corrupts good character. Proverbs 14, stay away from fools. You won't learn a thing. Students, when you get to college, that dude over in the corner that stands there and goes, dude, that's the only word he knows. He's not going to teach you anything, okay? You're not learning anything from that guy. Just keep moving. Read the Proverbs and do two things make two lists. What's wise, what's foolish. Um, I'm going to skip, 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 okay? Number five, stay connected to a church, small group, and a ministry. You need input, you need output, you need support. Hebrews says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another people don't fall away from God because they do a deep study on 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 the resurrection and decide that Jesus didn't raise from the dead that's not why they fall away from God they fall away from God because they quit going to church they stop sticking around people that are supporting them and encouraging them and teaching them and helping them stay accountable I'm a camper so what I've learned about a campfire is I can reach into the fire and take a, a hot coal with my tongs I can take that out of the fire and I can set it over here by itself it's just a matter of time before that coal starts to go cold and lose its heat because it's not where it's supposed to be. But I can take that coal and I can put it back in the fire, and it's just a matter of time before that coal reignites, becomes a part of the flame, and starts giving off heat. That is exactly what happens to us. Students, when you go off to college, do not wake up and, and say, well, I'm going go to go to church online. No, get up, get dressed, go to church Go to a church because you run the risk of being that cold. If you remove yourself from the body of Christ, you're going to grow cold and your faith is going to diminish and I don't want to see that happen for you. Listen, I got a bunch more that I could say. I really want uh, Shelby to come out and close us this morning. The Bible says that at the end of time, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Every rock star Every politician, every educator, every world history leader, Hitler, Freud, Nietzsche, John Dewey, Julian Huxley, Billy Graham, name them. They will all bend a knee to Christ and they will say he is the son of the living God. We need to be on the right side of that. Our students need to be on the right side of that. Let me pray for you, and then Shelby's going to come out. Father, I give you thanks for loving us. I, th- I thank you for students. I thank you for education. I thank you for the opportunity to expand our mind. Uh, Lord, you're, you're good to us, and we're just we're thankful this morning. I pray for these students as they go off to school, that you would hold them close to you, give them good experiences, put good people around them, protect them, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.